in the book of Acts. We're continuing our series called The Blueprint, The Blueprint, a, a portrait of the New Testament church from the book of Acts, a portrait of the New Testament church as seen from the eyes of the book of Acts. Now, we are looking at chapter 9 today, and I want to invite you to rest your eyes on a portion of Scripture, beginning in verse 13. And Ananias answered the Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we are grateful that we are in the house. There's something very special that happens when two or three are gathered together in your name. You have said in your word, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves as the manner of some is, but coming together and exhorting one another so much the more as we see the evil day approaching. So God, we thank you that we are encouraged by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, God, take your word and do what you do that it may not return unto you void, but will accomplish that which you please and shall prosper whereunto you send it. In the matchless name of Jesus, the church said amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise his holy name. One of the most dreaded things I experienced on, as a youngster, 2307 North 32nd Street in Philadelphia, was when my mother said, I'm going to let your stepdad deal with you. I didn't want to hear that. That was a problem. That was pre-traumatic stress syndrome. See, my stepdad had a ritual. I knew when it was 6 o'clock in the morning because he, he, he made sounds before he would leave for work. And then he would return promptly right at 5 o'clock every single day. Once he arrived at the house, he would go directly upstairs, take his shower, complete the shower. My mother would take him dinner, and I guess that's when she would lay the verdict down that I need to be dealt with. Then after he ate dinner, he'd drink a glass of wine. Last but not least, he'd call me upstairs. Now, here's when it really got crazy. He said, this is going to hurt me more than it will hurt you. I wanted to say, stop lying. 
Let's switch this thing up. Let you take the whooping. <laughs> and let me see how much I love or it hurts me to, to, to take the pain away from me. Indirected to you. Of course, that never happened. But having raised four children and three Canaanite, no, three God-fearing sons, I now have grown to appreciate what my stepfather meant before he spanked me with the words, this is going to hurt me more than it will hurt you. What he was saying is, you don't ever want to hurt people you love. I'm like thinking, if you love me, why you hurt me? I now know that both can be true. If you really love somebody, you're going to have to hurt them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I know what the psychologists are saying as they are paying for therapists for themselves and their children. The Bible says, spare the rod, you spoil a child. Delaware said, you use the rod, you go to jail. But I would rather God be true in every man a liar. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, the writer says that one of the ways that we know that we belong to God is that when we step out of line, the Lord chastens those who he loves. And he says that chastisement, discipline, correction from the Lord is never pleasurable. But if you don't receive chastisement, that's an indication that you're not loved. So both are true. God chastens those who he loves. We hear people say, God is love. First John, the apostle, talks about God is love. He is the personification of love. He is the source of all love. But the same God who is, the, who is love, the Bible says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all who suppress, who hold down the truth in unrighteousness. God loves sinners, but he hates sin. Somebody say amen. amen. Wives, you understand this. You, you love that man. You love your husband, but that man can get on your last sanctified nerve. No, you know how the scripture said, let God be true and every man be lying. No, your husband say, let me be true. When's the last time your husband was wrong? Somebody say amen. So, so you love him, but that, that, that brother can wear you out. Now, I know that's not the experience of uh, my wife, but for the rest of you who can identify, now we got a little too much mic. Amen, amen. That helps me, but it's a little too loud. So, children, if you could be honest this Christmas, and you were asking God to gift you something, don't go too low now. They're going the opposite extreme. Amen. 
If you were just honest, would you want God to gift you a new set of parents? We didn't get to choose our parents, right? Now, that doesn't mean you don't love your parents, but sometimes your parents can be a little too rigid. I was talking to a brother one day. He said, Pastor, can I be honest? Can I be totally honest with you? He said, Dad, you know I love my wife, deaconess, and he's filled in her name. I love her, and we serve the Lord together. But he said, the best time I have with my wife is when she's sleeping. (laughs) Now... <laughs> now, I, when he said that, I said, you, 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 you're not serious. He didn't smile. <laughs> now, can both be true? Yes, they can. Both can be true. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, we see an amazing, powerful, soul-searching example of how two things that seem diametrically opposed totally opposite, contradictory, can be true at the same time. The Lord said to Ananias, he said, go, this man who's persecuting my church is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. True. He said, now bring him to this house or or go to him to, to release him from the, his blindness so that I can show him the great things that he's going to suffer for my name. Wait a minute. Chosen vessel suffering greatly for being a chosen vessel. How can the two be true? We like chosen vessel, crown and, and serving Christ and, 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 and receiving honor when honor is due. But that's the other side of that coin that is equally true is that there will never be a crown without a cross. He will suffer much for my name. Now, I want to just consider three things with you. First, the first thing I want to consider with you starts in, uh, we're going to see this in verse 15. And if you would rest your eyes, he says, but the Lord said to, to Ananias, Ananias, go, for he is my chosen vessel, a vessel of mine to bear my name to the Gentiles, to kings, and to children, the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The first thing that I want you to consider with me is that opportunity to serve the Lord, is, it comes from the Lord. Opportunities to serve come from, from the Lord. Jesus actually says this in John chapter 15, verse 16. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you that you would be able to bear fruit that remains. And as we are bearers of fruit, he says, you, the condition of bearing fruit that remains. He says, then you can pray to the Father in my name, 
And whatever you ask, if you are bearing fruit because I chose you. And so serving the Lord is a privilege. He makes serving him possible. Every Christian should look forward to serving the Lord. Somebody say amen again. I want you to understand that there are at least four things that are involved when God has given you a specific place to build on the wall called the kingdom of God. We can look at this as God giving each one of us, like Paul, a vision for our life. And vision is simply this, seeing the end from the beginning. Seeing the end from the beginning. And so this could be thought of as Paul, the vision for Paul's life, but it is also the steps that are involved when God calls us into a particular opportunity. The first thing that I want you to notice, he says, he is my chosen vessel. And the Greek word that is used for chosen literally means that he is selected, that he is my preferred, that he is my favorite vessel that I have set aside to be ordained for a particular thing. Just like Paul was ordained for a particular thing, chosen, God has also ordained or chosen each one of us for a particular ministry. In, 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 in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the scripture tells us, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared when before hand that he should, that we should walk in them. So the call, the, the, the God selecting us, preferring us, favoring us, setting us apart to do a, a, a particular assignment is God's choice that happens for all of us. Every single one of us have been chosen. We just need to be fine. Say, well, I'm not, I'm not an ordained deacon. I'm not an ordained elder. I'm not an ordained pastor. I'm not. No, no, you're ordained if you're saved. You may not be walking in what you have been given authority to, com to, to complete. Let me run on. I want you to understand something about <clears throat> the, Paul. What was he like before he was chosen, before he was ordained for his ministry? When you get an opportunity in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, we read, For you have heard of my previous reputation in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God. He said, and I tried to destroy it. Paul was a man on a mission to kill the church. How many of you heard that the church is dying? That's, that, that's called false news. <laughs> that's what, fake news. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is still being built. The church of Jesus Christ will never die. But Paul says it was his intention to destroy followers of Christ, the church. I was advancing Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. He thought he was right. He had a zeal, but he was lacking knowledge. So before the Lord chose Paul, who was in this, at this time was still called Saul of Tarsus, he was a hater 
of the church. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, consider your calling. <laughs> that there were not many of you wise, not many of you strong, not many of you noble, but God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things, the ignoble things. And so when we think about what would we like when the Lord revealed to us that not only did he want to save us, but he had a place on the wall called the church for you to do, a, do your part. So Paul was chosen, but not only was Paul chosen, he was called. He says, he said, uh, uh, he says well, let, let me, let me, let me, when, I need to clarify when, when this happened. When are, when are we called? When is the ministry or the ordination for our life given to us from God? I'm glad you asked. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased, then the, the, the scales, the, the, the revelation of the ordination of God on his life became known to him. There was a call on your life, even as you were being formed in your mother's womb, even before your dad was plotting on your mom to make you, and you didn't know there was a you. In eternity past, in the purposes and plans of God, he had already decided that you would be, that you would be chosen. What that means is that it had nothing to do with you. The Bible says, for by grace we are saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It is the free gift of God, not the result of human effort, lest we should boast about it. And so God's decision to use us in the ministry is strictly by, the, by virtue of his grace. That's why he did it. That's why he did Paul actually says it. He called me by his grace. So when I hear Christian, I can't, I'm not good enough. You don't know about my past. God knows your past. And yet he says, like Paul says, but for the grace of God. And so the God who chose you, he chose you while you were yet in your sins. In eternity past, he had predetermined. The question is, are you walking in what God has predetermined beforehand that you might be a workman created in Christ Jesus to do good works? Not your own thing, but good works. Not only was he chosen, but he was called. He was called. He was, this is what we call, he was anointed, he said, to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel. He says, many, many, have gone, many have gone, but only few are sent. And so you, you, you have a lot of people today who have just gone, but they just went. They were, they were never sent. And so Paul was anointed. Paul was anointed to preach the gospel. Don't want to get bogged down. Paul was anointed to preach the gospel. He was given the gift of evangelism, and we, too, have been given various gifts. I don't know what your gift is, but you don't want to be like the unwise servant who buried his talent because the Lord is coming back, and we will give an account for what we have done with what God has entrusted to us. Somebody say amen. Not only was he chosen, that is, ordained and called, gifted or anointed for a specific ministry, but he was commissioned. He was given a specific assignment. You shall be my apostle to the Gentiles. I am going to, I am going to give you opportunity, Paul, to stand before kings. And so the commission of God comes with this. When he chooses you, he ordains you for your call. The, and the call is the gift that comes with, the, with the, being selected. 
and then he will commission you. Some people should work with children. Others should work with women. Some should work with, with pastoring. Some should work with, in, in the field of electronics or whatever your specific gifting is, the gift of exhortation, the gift of teaching. There's, there, are, there are designated populations that God has already predetermined. Some of you work very well with teenagers. God bless you and heaven smile upon you. I'm trying to learn how to deal with people who have no filters. That's the time we live in today. People will say anything. And they call that being real. That's, they call that being their truth. I'm trying to be like Paul. Paul said, I became all things to all men that I win some. Lord, help me to become all men to these folks who talk and say anything. But God commissions us to, to do ministry in, in, to a particular uh, 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 to a particular group of people. You can say what I've said every Sunday, but when you said it, they heard it and they received it. I've been saying it for months, but they never got it because that was what God commissioned you to do. And then God confirmed it. I like what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17. He says, my immediate response when I realized that God had set me apart to preach the the gospel, when God had chosen me in my mother's womb to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he said, my immediate response was not to consult with any human beings. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. And so Paul said, the confirmation of God choosing me and calling me and commissioning me came directly from God. You need to learn how to hear from God for yourself before you raise your hand and say what you're going to do. Well, the pastor asked me, my sister asked, no, 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 What? because if you do it because of me, when I make you angry, you're going to quit. But if you heard from God that this is where you should serve, you're not just going to quickly turn your back and resign. And so he said, before I, I, I consulted with any flesh and blood, I spent personal time with the Lord. I learned how to distinguish the voice of God for myself. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, if that's the way Paul did it. If you want to go to Arabia, I'm going to go out to Lum's Pond. I'm going to spend a couple of hours, and I'm going to anoint myself as an apostle. I'm going to be a bishop. Ah, oh, nah, bishops and apostles, they cool. I'm going to be a cardinal. Eh, cardinal sounds okay. Eh, I wonder if I could be a pope in the Baptist church. Oh. No, Paul did hear from God first. But before he integrated his ministry into the church, the scripture says that he, in, in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, he said that his confirmation was God will always back up his call through his body. You will not be a teacher. He said, well, I got the gift of teaching. They just don't have the gift of hearing. That's why they fall asleep every time I teach. No, you may not. You just boring. You just went. You didn't get sent. Look at verse, uh, in verse in, when you write this down, Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. James, Cephas, John, those esteemed as pillars, leaders, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles 
and to the uncircumcised. And so what he's saying, he's saying that, yeah, I, I heard from the Lord about this being chosen and called and commissioned. But he, and he confirmed it when, I, when, I, when, he, when he talked to me privately. But there's a second part of it. You need to be a part of a local body where people who are pillars of the church, who are established and walking in victory and spiritually mature, can lay hands on you and say, we agree. We're not telling you what you should do. We simply are agreeing with what God has already told you. Now, I'm just going to be honest. When I grew up, I loved fairy tales. The three little pigs, Goldilocks and the what? Three bears, Sleeping Beauty, uh, Snow White and the seven dwarfs. Uh, before there was a Cinderella, there was a Cinderella. Now, one of the top ten fairy tales was the frog prince. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Now, the way the story goes, a princess was in the forest playing with a golden ball that she loved. Well, she didn't know that there was a frog who had been cursed by a wicked witch, and he, be, who, he was a prince, but he became a frog because of the curse. And so while she's playing with the golden ball, y'all let your kids see some fairy tales. Y'all looking at me strange. Fairy tale, I'm telling you, you got to try it. Anyway, she loses the ball and falls into the deepest part of the pond. And so the frog says, if you let me get that, if I find your golden ball for you, I need you to agree to let me eat from your plate, drink from your cup, and go where you go. She loved that ball so much. She said, sure, sure. And the frog dives into the pond, and he comes back with a golden ball. And when she gets the golden ball, she takes off, no intention of keeping her promise. The next day when she wakes up, guess who's in her room? It's the frog. And somehow the news gets to the king that the queen, the princess, has broken her promise and uh, the king demands that she keeps her word, and so she got to let this frog eat from her plate, drink from her cup, and everywhere she goes, this frog is with her. She is just fed up with this frog. And the frog makes another request. He says, if you agree to kiss me, I will, leave. <laughs> I will leave and never bother you again. And she said, oh, I don't want to do it, but okay. She kisses the frog, and the frog instantaneously is transformed into a handsome clone of myself. <laughs> and they fall in love, and you know the end of the story, they live happily ever after, so forth. And I thought about that, I said, you know what? That story kind of reflects what happened to Paul. Paul was chosen, he was called, he was commissioned, he was confirmed. We were that frog, cursed by Adam's sin. Unlike the frog, the frog had the ability to find and do something to make an agreement with the princess. 
The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We had no spiritual pulse. We had no ability. We were separated from God without any hope. But the Bible says, but God in his great mercy, he has quickened us by the Holy Spirit. And we who once were cursed by sin, we don't have to be frogs anymore. We are a royal priesthood in the Lord Jesus. We are a peculiar people, not because of what we have done, but because of what he did. What he did, what he did. I'm glad about it. If any man be in Christ, that includes you, it includes me. I have become in Jesus a brand new creation from the inside out. Therefore, being justified by faith, God says, I now have peace with him through the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm glad today that I have peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has removed the curse. He has removed the curse. The opportunity to serve comes from the Lord. I don't know. I know you don't like being called a fraud, but the Bible says we were wretched. (laughs) Is that better? An abomination messed up from the neck up. Is that better? (laughs) Shaped in iniquity and conceived in... Oh, does that make you feel better? Okay. Now, opposition from our adversary is real. So the opportunity for ministry comes from the Lord. But at the same time, opposition walks in that same hall. I want to just share a couple verses where he says, he will suffer great things for my name. Vision will cost you. That's why many Christians are going to go to heaven having never realized the potential that God has rested inside of us because we don't want to pay the price to accomplish vision. It will cost you to become everything that the Lord wants you to be. You've got to take up your cross daily. You've got to be prepared to deny yourself. You've got to be willing to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You must be willing to be disliked, be rejected. You must be willing to go all in. Opposition is real. What we need to know about this opposition is that opposition on the inside is real. Some of you can testify to this. Paul says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in, the, in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within. Both are true. <laughs> I got the spirit of God living in me, and I also got the Adamic nature. That's why the Bible says, walk not in the flesh, for the flesh and the spirit are contrary. So you got a saved person who at the same time, you got a sin nature. Both are true. Paul said, I want to do right. I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, but man, this program is good. I know I'm supposed to forgive my enemies, but I can't stand him. I know I'm supposed to, 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 to pray. Man, I should even get up earlier than I'm getting up, but ah, man, this pillow feels so good. There's also opposition from the outside in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse. So he said, be, be vigilant, be on guard for your adversary. The devil 
is like a roaring lion who roams to and fro throughout the earth, seeking who he may destroy. And so we've got this internal enemy called the flesh and this external enemy called Satan who is constantly trying to lure us through temptation. Walk away from your marriage. Cuss him out. Show him what you used to be like. Then they will respect you. Another thing that we need to learn about opposition is not only is it, it's allowed by God from the inside and the outside, but the greater the opposition, the greater your opportunities are. The closer you get to the goal line, the closer you get to that next step and level in the Lord, the greater the opposition will be. Let me, let me share this. You've got to write this scripture down. This oh, Lord, this is a good one. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. He says, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So I'm walking through the same door, and there's all this opportunity to live for God, to experience the fruit, the, the, the abundant life. And right, right in that same corridor, there are many adversaries. The greater the opportunities, the more doors God opens for you, the more, somebody said, another devil, another level, another devil. That's where we say, Lord, I got to get off the bus here. <laughs> I love going through the door of opportunity. I love having opportunity to just enjoy doing ministry without friction. But Jesus said, while you are in the world, you're going to experience persecution. Don't be surprised when you encounter fiery, not just any ordinary test, fiery testing. Oh, when Joseph told his brothers and his father, he said, I had a dream. Martin Luther King is not the first one who had a dream. I had a dream. They said, his brother said, tell us what your dream was. And then Joseph commenced to sing. He was just telling what his dream was, what the, the vision for the beginning, seeing the end of his life from the beginning. God didn't say, didn't explain it. He just showed him the vision. Somebody, that's how vision will come sometimes. You don't understand it. If God revealed the full the extent of your vision, it will blow you, give you a heart attack. That's how great vision is. And so he said, in my vision, I see you guys bowing down at my feet. And they said, yeah, is that the way they said it? It's going gonna, it gonna to roll out like that? And then they said, well, come down. You got to hear your son's vision. You know the one you gave the, 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 the multicolored coat? You know the one that's your favorite? And you got to hear it. You want to know why we hate him so much? Come listen to this dude. He said that we're going to bow. And, and he said, did you say that, Joseph? Yep. That's what I saw. And you would think, well, the Bible said that, uh, that Jacob contemplated it in his heart, but he didn't protect Joseph from his brothers. All hell broke out when he shared his vision. If you share your vision with the wrong person, that could be the person you live with. Lord have mercy. These were his brothers. God is going to take me to college. God, I'm going to get me a doctor degree. I'm going to live here. We used to play that. That's my house. That's my car. We used to, we used to dream. It didn't happen, but we dreamed. 
And so he found himself beaten by his brothers, stripped of his clothes, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, experiencing work, work environment, sexual harassment by his boss's wife. She was hot for Joseph. Come on, baby. I'm fine. You fine. What's love got to do with this thing? Let's get physical. Opposites attract. She hooked that thing up, put every, gave everybody a day off. It was only Joseph and her. Turned the lights down, put some Van Dross on. <laughs> got her Victoria's Secret going on. Worked out in the gym. Tightened that stuff up. Got some lipo. <laughs> Face augmentation. She ready. He won't turn me down now. And, and Joseph, here it is. He desired. He, wasn't nothing wrong with Joseph. Wasn't no, not a near, uh, nothing crooked about joking. He was straight as straight could be. You can be straight and turn down sex outside of your marriage. Both can be true. You ain't funny because you said no. God didn't forsake you because she said you raped her and you end up in jail for seven years. He ended up in jail for seven years. But everywhere that Joseph went, he saw his opposition as opportunities because God kept elevating him. Turn your opposition into opportunity. Stop complaining. I'm so sick and tired of, I don't know why they don't like me. I don't know. Guys, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in all things. Give thanks for this is, somebody said, you can finish them. This is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Turn your opposition into opportunities. Now, I'm going to hurry on. Here's the two things that can be so different in, in how they sound, but still true, both being true. How did opposition affect Paul and his ministry team when he finally starts ministering? He's got Silas. He's got Barnabas. He's got Aquila and Priscilla. He's got Timothy. He's got Luke. He's, got, he's starting all these churches and appointing elders. But listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Write that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the providence of Asia. We were under great pressure, say pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. We thought it was over. He said, indeed, we felt like we had received a sentence of death. Now, remember who these, these are spirit, Paul is a spiritual giant. He's a theologian, Ph.D., wrote most of the New Testament scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, let me just be honest and transparent with you. He said, we were under great pressure. We were stressed out. He said, we felt overwhelmed. You ever feel like your life is out of control? You just, I hope this elevator stops. He said, we lost hope. We were despairing, depressed. He said, we thought God has given us a death sentence. 
Now, suppose Elder Gray talked to him. He's a spiritual giant in the church, and you go to him for counseling. He starts talking about, I'm under great stress. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm depressed. <laughs> and, and, man, I, I think I'm about to die. How, would that elevate you, elevate him in your thinking? Would you feel like this guy can help you? you would you question his spirituality? Would you question his love? I want you to know Paul didn't love God any less. You can love God less and be anxious. You can love God. You can still love God and feel overwhelmed and hopeless and think you're about to die and wonder, is this finally it? The, both can be true. You love God, but you're struggling. The Bible, Jesus says, he says uh, uh, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is well. We have a weak flesh. We got some Simon up in us. Both can be true. You just caught me on a bad day. You caught me in a bad moment. Now, if you live like this, then they got another issue. He felt overwhelmed. He felt stressed. Now, why does God allow both to be true? I'm going to finish with this. He says, but this happened in verse 9b, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. <laughs> you mean all this stuff that's going on in my life? This stress, this feeling overwhelmed and out of control and depressed, about to go to a psychiatrist and give me some meditation? That too. <laughs> I'm about to start yogaring it now. I feel like I would rather be, Lord, take me, take me out of here. Why? So that we can rely on him. Paul says when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong because my weakness is that the strength of Christ is perfected, not in spite of my weakness, but because I'm weak. We learn in our weakness that God is sufficient. God is adequate. He is enough. And so what I'm doing when I'm going through and two things that are opposing, there's opportunity but opposition, and the opposition is hurting me and it, makes, it seems out of control, I'm going to rely on God. Rely on God. He also does it to remind us about what God has already done. He says he has already delivered such, delivered us from de deadly perils, and he says he's going to do it again. So when God is, like, when you're going through and you're relying on God, you ought to remember what he did to get you where you, you've been through this before. There's no temptation that has taken you, but such that is common to man. God is faithful, so you've gone through already, and so we can be reminded that if he did it then, he'll do it again. Somebody said if he did it then. He'll do it again. Somebody, somebody ought to testify. If he did it then, he'll do it again. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you that I can rely on you that tomorrow is going to be better than today because the God I serve is the same that he was yesterday, today, and forevermore. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. He delivered me out of the fiery furnace. He'll do it again. He parted my Red Sea. He leveled my mountains when I couldn't see my way over or around or out. But I find myself on the other side. He did it then. I know he'll do it again. He'll do it again. But here's, what, here's the last thing, last thing. He allows it to happen. 
to release his power when the church prays. He says, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on behalf of the gracious favor granted to us in answer to your prayers for many. And so what God will do is that he will release a spirit of prayer in the church of first 15. And God will begin to break up the fallow ground. God will begin to change hearts of stone into, the, into hearts of flesh. God will begin through prayer to take what was dead, dry bones, and he'll cause those dry bones. He said, he said, I, he said prophet Elijah, preach over these bones because they will live again. And the way that God will cause that which is dead to live again is when the church starts to call out on his name. Oh, somebody don't believe me. He said, if my people who are called by my name, if we would humble ourselves and seek his face, turn, turn from our wicked ways. He said, I'll hear, you'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. There's much more, but we're going to stop here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's more. There's more to come. There's more to come. Both can be true. Paul says, to be absent from the body means that I'll be present. How can both be true? Paul says, I'm caught between two opinions. It's better for me, for your behalf, to stay. But it's even better to be with Jesus. Because for Christ I live and for Christ I die. To live is gain. Somebody say amen. Two things can be true. You can be going through hell right now. And God's about to release a manifestation from heaven. That's why you don't want to become weary in well-doing. The Bible says if you don't faint, you will reap a harvest of blessing. Both are true. You're going through. But be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your work is not in vain. Your work is not in vain. Both can be true. You're going through. Stop looking for the easy place. Stop trying to get shortcuts. Stop doing it your way. There is a way that seems right to us, but the end of your way is death. Do it God's way, and God's way is usually the harder way. The reason it's harder is because the only way we can accomplish it is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you are faithful. We want to learn how to rely on you when we feel stressed and anxious. We want to learn how to rely on you when our hearts are overwhelmed and it seems like everything's out of control. Father, we want to rely on you when we feel hopeless and depressed as Christians. And because of our status in the church, we can't say what Paul said. People would look at us differently. But I thank you for a word that's transparent. I thank you that the word became flesh. And we, we, we beheld and we, we have a high priest who understands our infirmities. He was tempted just like we are yet without sin. Father, when we are even despairing of life, Sometimes we just get weary, Lord. We just want to, go to home. We want to go home. May we rely on you. May we remember your past faithfulness. 
and your ability to do it again. God, may we allow you to release the power of your spirit on the church through a prayer commitment by the church so that we will be your chosen vessels, called, commissioned, and confirmed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord, church.